the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Witch Life Podcast. I'm Hillary. I'm your host today. I'm joined by Courtney. Hi. And Kanani. Hello. And we are very excited for today's show. Today, we have Kate Fruler, the author of Of Blood and Bones, Working with Shadow Magic and the Dark Moon, and she's here to discuss shadow magic. So that's exciting. And we have Kanani's husband finally reviewed the craft for us. And we also have a listener question that we're going to dig into before our guest joins. We have some exciting stuff going on at That Witch Life. I'm sure you heard on last episode that we were releasing some new spell kits and Kanani is going to dish all about them. So this is actually very like fun for me because it is involves a podcast, but it also involves magic work and spells and amazing the podcast and witchcraft together wow shocking <laughs> every once in a while those two worlds collide is this a podcast about witchcraft i don't think so those people are weird to be fair but we actually released um for someone who has not had a chance to check etsy yet which you need to go check we have three new spell kits that we just released we have a winter solstice yule spell kit which I have to tell you, I absolutely love because I found the cutest little fairy lights that come in the pack with the spell kits. They're so good. To be used with a spell, and they're absolutely fabulous. And then we also have a new moon and a full moon spell kit. So we're actually released, we actually just released three new spell kits. So we have a full moon, a new moon, an ancestor, and a Yule spell kit. And I have had so much fun putting them together and we have gotten such a great listener response and feedback from people as to how much they like them and how much they enjoy them. And it has just been, it's been so fun for me to be able to do this because it involves being crafty, which is one of my favorite things. And as simple as they may seem, I put a lot of time and effort into trying to kind of figure out how I want these to coordinate and work out and so i just want our listeners to know that we are probably going to keep doing these because i like them and they're fun well and it's it's i think what's so what's so great about these and what's been so fun for people is that it's like hey you don't know what to do with the full moon that's okay we've got you covered just open it up and you're set um, and they're, they're very easy to do. They don't take a lot of space. And so if you don't have a lot of privacy, you don't have a lot of room, you don't have a lot of time, boom, you're covered. It's all there. And, um, you know, there's, there's a bit of each of us in this. I mean, Kanani obviously is the, is the brain behind this process and she's put them all together. I've had a lot of fun writing the spells and Hillary's put together some wonderful herb concoctions that go with it. So they're just, they're really special. I think it's, it's great. And especially now you've got 
all kinds of things you can choose from to add to your magical collection. And the full and the new moon are good any time of the year, you know, and you can reuse elements of the Yule one next year. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, if you, I, I often find, especially with like the spell or the herb mixtures and the different things, you could utilize those in different spell work. Even if you like, cause I know that holidays get really busy, but a lot of these elements in these can be used for any other ritual. So it's like, it's geared towards Yule or towards, you know, the ancestor spell kit, which was, you know, also kind of geared towards Samhain, but ancestor work in general. So it's like cool because I think they're, you know, you can get multi-uses out of them and then inspired as well. Like, you know, you could recreate that for other, uh, you know, use that as inspiration for other rituals. So. Absolutely. And the, the other thing is in everything I try and include, make sure something's included. Like for example, everyone has a crystal, right? You can use the crystal can go on your altar for the rest of the year. You can use that for all kinds of spells. And there's usually, um, kind of the fun surprise for each of the spell kits is I pick some sort of a goodie that goes in there. That's just kind of just a fun keepsake as part of the spell. And so, you know, there's things in it. So it's not like once you've utilized the contents, there's no more, like there's fun things about it that you can keep with you and use over and over again. Yeah. And the, generally speaking, like the herb mixture as well, you could use for multiple things because there's like, uh, it's blended with the intention of incense. You can also use it in other ways if smoke is not, you know, uh, possible for you. So there's just like multi, multi use and really cute. And Kanadi's done such an amazing job at putting them together. They look adorable. So, um, yeah, very exciting stuff. So speaking of exciting things, So the husband finally saw the craft, huh? How did that go? It was, it was funny because I've been trying to pin him down for a while to watch it. And finally he just kind of begrudgingly was like, all right, fine. Surrendered. He's he's like, I give, he's like, does this mean you'll stop bothering me about it? I guess it's worth it. Did you withhold sex until he watched it? Cause that seems like a good way to do it. She's like, this is some Lysistrata shit right now. So you better watch the fucking craft. So, so first of all, the, when we mentioned the reason we want it, when we mentioned in a previous podcast that it would be really funny for my husband to watch the craft, there was a whole story and reason behind that, that Courtney edited out because she hates my husband. So <laughs> AKA, I had to edit for time, but go ahead, Kanani, so, tell the well, story. I, I told him it's because you hated him. But so I'm going to explain to people where the whole concept came from of forcing my husband to watch the craft. So a thousand years ago, when he and I started dating, we were hanging out with some of his friends and one of them said something about Steve Perry. And I just stopped and I go, who the fuck is Steve Perry? And his friends all started laughing hysterically. And my husband dropped to his knees and covered his face with his hands And was like, why God, why, how am I dating someone who does not know who Steve Perry was? So that is still a running joke with his, with his friends. So I don't think I know who Steve Perry is. I must be horrible. He apparently was the lead singer for Journey. Oh, right. Okay. I I don't, I still don't, I still don't get it. But anyways, (laughs) Oh my God. They're old. What do you expect? So it's journey. It's okay. Whatever. So fast forward to like 12 years later, 
and I'm talking to my husband about the the remake of of the craft and how I, I have to watch the movie and see, you know, kind of compare it to the, the original. And he looks at me and he goes, What's the craft? And you're Shit. like, How are you my husband? And I Why? and I had that I had that very moment that he had 12 years prior where I'm like, excuse me? Are you kidding? How do you not know what the craft is? So I had I had my Steve Perry moment where I absolutely what little bit of me I had left died inside. And I realized that I had married someone who had never seen the original craft movie. So that's where it became a thing where clearly in order to save his marriage, he was going to have to watch this movie. So <laughs> I was able to pin him down to watch the movie and I got him to give us a review. So what do you think? It's okay. 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 <laughs> I didn't expect an okay. That's better than I thought. Yeah. It's okay. But not great. Oh, are you surprised or not surprised that this movie brought so many people to be interested in witchcraft? So-so, uh, not surprised, really. This movie's in the 80s, right? It's the 90s. Uh, 90s, yeah, I'm not surprised. They needed something to hold on to. Oh, Jesus. What? Oh, my God. Is there anything you liked about the movie? Uh, well, at least it didn't get, like, too absurd, you know, and it kept true to its, uh, witchism. Witchism? <laughs> what in the hell do you know about witchism? First of all, you just made up a word, which I'm going to use and say I made up, because that was kind of a fun word. But what the hell do you know about witchism? I don't. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to make you watch the new craft. You know that, right? Uh. I'll slip my wrists. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll still make you watch the new craft. Mm-hmm. All right. On a scale of one to ten, what do you think of this movie? I'd probably give it like a C, a seven. Okay, seven I, isn't bad. It's, this is a one to ten. A, this, a C is not a one to He's ten. speaking like a, a teacher. Okay, fine. A seven. You like the craft after weeks of bitching and whining. Well, I like... You like the storyline. Well, the storyline, yes. You, you know, you're going to... Had some famous people in it. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit, actually. That you recognized? Yes. Just surprised Neff Campbell did did this. I don't think she was famous before she did this. Well, I don't recall. And then she went into uh, Dawson. Was it Dawson's? I don't know what the fuck she was in. She was in something famous that I didn't watch. I don't remember what it was. Yes. (sighs) All right, you should go get me ice cream now. (laughs) Of course. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. That's my husband's review of the craft. It's as crappy as my reviews are and as informative. So have a great day. <laughs> wow, that was anticlimactic, but not expect oh not my unexpected. God, that's so fucking funny. But here's the funny here's the funny part. So I actually had a phone call from someone I had to take. And so I only actually watched the beginning with him and then I got the phone call. I had to step away and then I watched the end with him. And so I actually missed the middle. And so I'm going to rewatch it again because we had, we had to rent it and I forgot how much I loved the movie by just seeing the clippets that I saw. So I have to watch it again. But, um, when I came back in, I was kind of like 
waiting to see like, is he going to be up around walking the room, you know, walking around the room, kind of side eye watching it. He was entrenched in the movie. He was so he's fully lying. entertained by this movie, whether he wants he to admit was it or upset. not. He was upset that he liked it. Yes. He liked them because he was, I mean, he was fully engaged in the movie when I walked back in and, and like to the point that I could tell, like, I didn't even want to ask him questions about it because he was, he was watching what was happening and he, he did like the movie, but, and I am going to steal witchism. That's my thing now. I think that's a good one. Witchism. Witchism. It is true to witchism. What the hell? Well, speaking of the craft, we have a very exciting announcement. Um, so next episode, we are going to be joined by Rachel true who played Rochelle in the craft. I know. And she has a, beautiful new tarot deck out uh, and which we will be doing an Instagram giveaway of starting the 1st of December. So one, you should be freaking out because she's amazing and we're very excited to interview her. And two, you have a chance to win her totally amazing deck. So stay tuned. Get excited. And I have this deck. I purchased it for the interview so that I could, I could play with it and and be familiar with it. You want this deck. I'm telling you that right now. And also she talked to us for an hour and a half. I couldn't believe it. Like she totally went in on it with us. And so, um, for time, we can't release the entire interview on the episode, but we are releasing the unedited, completely in com- completely complete, <laughs> extended <laughs> complete, version, extended version of the Rachel True interview on our Patreon page. So join us for as little as a dollar a month to get access to that and more fabulous content. But yeah, so seriously, she was so much fun, and we were so excited to share this with you all. Yeah, super excited. So. We have a listener question. This question states, Hi all, I recently discovered your podcast and I'm absolutely hooked. I've always, I know, right? We have the best listeners. I've always felt drawn to spirituality, but don't know how to feel at home in any one faith or community. My parents are atheists and brought me up with little respect for religion. And I have a close circle of female friends who are also non-religious and openly critical of religion or woo-woo things. I am drawn to spirituality, ritual, and prayer, but often suffer with existential depression. I have spent years delving into different areas like Christianity, Buddhism, Vipassana, the law of attraction, paganism, witchcraft, but I never feel as though I fit in or can be openly a part of a community. How do I get rid of imposter syndrome surrounding spirituality? How did you get that confidence to say, I am a witch rather than my version of just witchcraft interests me? It would be amazing to hear your guy, you guys, you guys advice on this, on this, perhaps in a podcast episode. Thank you so much. Yours sincerely, listener in England. Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening from England yeah. and for writing in. And it's such, you know, I'll be honest Sometimes I still struggle with saying I'm a witch to people. I, it, because I, a couple of things. One, I don't always feel like explaining what that means, or I don't feel like defending what that means. Because once you, once you announce yourself as part of probably any religion, but especially any kind of, of more um, fringe 
path, less traveled form of spirituality, people are going to have thoughts about it. And sometimes those thoughts are them then confessing all of their psychic experiences to you or wanting you to cast a spell on them in the moment. And I don't always have energy for that. So I honestly, I don't always tell people that I'm a witch and I don't think you have to. Um, I, that may be information that you share with people that you really trust. And that is absolutely okay. Uh, one of the reasons we do a podcast is so that people can have a kind of community when the community may not always be present. And sometimes it takes a while to find community. And I find that community ebbs and flows. There have been times where I've been surrounded by a lot of witches. And then I'm in a phase of my life where, you know, the witches I talk to most often are, are, are these two. What it really comes down to is, is keep practicing your version of this and let it fulfill you. And you don't have to announce it to the world. It may be a, a phase right now where you share that with people you really trust. And that's something that they have to earn from you. And that's, that's absolutely great. Go for it. Like to me, this, this, to me, this question seems more like you feeling confident in even saying to yourself, I am a witch. Um, and if you, if that word is something you identify with, right, if that's, if that word is something you want to call yourself, there's not like, there's not like, oh, you have to have done these 10 things to call yourself a witch. There's no, uh, you have to be really knowledgeable to tell yourself, to call yourself a witch. I mean, the reality is, is if you are doing practice, which practices, which it sounds like you are, then you are a witch. You already are one. Um, you know, your individual practice isn't the criteria there. And I think, you know, I agree with Courtney, like who you, you don't owe it to anyone to say what you are or aren't. Um, you know, for years and years and years and years, like I just, I mean, I didn't call myself a witch, not both because again, I really struggled with that imposter syndrome of like, oh, well, but I don't do it this way or I don't have this, you know, thing or I'm not, I don't know this knowledge. And, and the reality was, is it wasn't, that wasn't true. I absolutely was practicing. And when I look back and all these times that I tried to say what I was in some roundabout way actually took more energy from me for, than just like letting myself be what I am, which is a witch. You know, imposter syndrome's hard. It's a, it's something that I think many of us feel in many areas of our live lives. And, and the thing is, is I think it comes down to uh, a core self-belief of whether we are good enough or not. And like, I'm here to tell you that you are good enough and that you, if you are, if you have a regular practice, you are a witch <laughs> and you get to choose who you share that with. I would say that I see myself a lot in this question. I have, have had groups where I go where almost everyone in the group is either Christian, Catholic, or Mormon fairly devout every, you know, Sunday they're at church, you know, very structured religious beliefs, very conservative religious beliefs. And I will be sitting down with them and I will be scrapbooking and card making and craft making. And I'm comfortable there, even though I know that they, you know, don't support my religion or my beliefs and, and I don't participate in theirs and our lives are vastly different, but I'm I'm cozy there. That's a little happy place for me. And then I can be surrounded by a group of, of guys watching a football game and I'm cussing and swearing and throwing things at the TV right there with them. 
and love sports and love athletics. And I feel at home there and I can be, you know, out at a, a retreat, you know, doing witchy woo things around a bunch of people. Um, and, and I feel at home there and I, I have, there's so many different parts of me. And, and for that reason, I have very, I have very different people in my lives. And while I, I am a witch and I practice witchcraft and I, not every, not everyone I know knows that the people closest to me know that, but even some of the people that are closest to me, uh, vast majority do not practice witchcraft. So although they know that I am a witch and I practice witchcraft, they've never seen me do it. They've never been a part of me doing it. You know, we hang out and we watch movies and we drink wine and, and we do wine tasting and, and we hang out with our kids and we have fun and we do parties. And so I think part of it is just because you practice witchcraft doesn't mean it has to become your identity. And I have met people where it very much is their identity. Like, you know, from looking at them, you know, from walking in their home, you know, from everything that they talk about, this is, this is them. This is what they do. This is what they, you know, this is what they're about. And they, they wear it. And I'm, I'm down for that. Like, that's fine. I have, I have no, you know, issues with that whatsoever. But then, you know, with myself, like I've told people before, you could walk in my house and other than you see some cute, you know, uh, fairy type items or little plaques that say something that unless you're, unless you're in the pagan community, none of this is going to hit you as this is a pagan house. This is someone who, you know, is a witch. And, and it's not that I'm attempting to hide anything to me being a witch and, and your practice, it's a part of you, but it's not necessarily something that everyone needs to know about. I, I think to me, one, that's one of the reasons why people have this imposter syndrome is because they feel like it's something that they're supposed to be outwardly, you know, expressing or making obvious because if they're not, then they're just not witchy. And that to me, that's just, that's just, that's not true at all. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it, keep enjoying it, be confident in it, feel good about it, share with who you want to share with, don't share with who you don't want to share with, just don't worry what other people think. I think that's just a, so much of a lot of our problems is we just worry so much about how other people feel about what we're doing. And as long as you can sleep at night and you're not an asshole, then I think you're doing okay. <laughs> Exactly. Agree. So, Courtney, we have a shout out this week. Yeah, I'm just reminding everybody that definitely check out the Opal Oracle cards. Um, we talked about them last week, and I am still really, really enjoying this deck. Um, again, Oracle cards are a great complement to other divination systems, or you can just use them on their own. And I, again, I just really appreciate about this deck that it gives you very supportive, but very clear advice. Yeah. So what's really unique about this deck, uh, the Opal Oracle, is that it delivers empowering message and messages and clear guidance, nudging 
users in the direction of their greatest good. It is vibrant and joyful, and readers can dive more deeply into their paths of self-compassion and reveal to themselves the kind of love that exists in the world around them. And again, it can exist... um, It can serve as a standalone deck of cards, or it can be used as a companion to other divination systems. The card I pulled this morning um, was said space and said, give yourself some space and time to process the things that have happened in your life. Space gives perspective and clarity and time heals. Um, and the artwork on it is, is really, really beautiful. The, the cardstock is very durable, so you can use it for a really long time. It can be ordered at lovejoylightwork.com, which we will also have links to that in our show notes. But do check out the Opal Oracle at lovejoylightwork.com. I am enjoying the hell out of this, and I know our listeners will as well. Fantastic. So we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Always. Uh, Thank you. We are like, we literally couldn't do it without you. So we appreciate you so much. And we've got our full interview with Rachel True coming out next week, as well as our interview with Matt Aron, our final interview of 2020, which you can get in advance. Guests who join at $5 or above can join our Witch Squad, which gives you access to our private Facebook page, as well as access to special quarterly events. And they are rad. If you join at the Kanani Boyfriend Girlfriend NB level for $25 a month, Courtney pulls a card for you. This week, she is pulling for Jason. And I think one thing we often forget to mention that if you join at the Kanani Boyfriend Girlfriend NB Friend level, we send you a box of goodies, which includes your own screaming goat. It's totally Hello. true. So cool. Pulling a card for Jason, I pulled the Six of Cups for Jason, which in this deck that I'm using, which is the Medieval Scapini, it is a mixed bag. It is a bag of, it, it, it suggests a lot of blessings, but can also suggest some moments of discomfort. When I get the Six of Cups, it's a time to navigate through things, and it's a time to be pretty selective as to what influences you let into your life. So you don't have to open your door for everything Um, to come in and take up space, but to be really discerning as to what energies you want to have in your life right now. I'm going to go wild and pull you in um, an Oracle card from the Opal Oracle deck as well. And Jason, you got uplift, which says we all rise together, celebrate the success of others, share the joy of their triumphs. We are all connected. So when we lift others up, it raises our own vibration. Um, to me, these two cards together are saying that, you know, pick, pick people around you who are celebrating great things in their life because that stuff is contagious and you want the opportunity to celebrate more things in your life. So thank you, Jason, for being one of Kanani's many boyfriends. And, um, we appreciate your support. Yes. Thank you so much for your support. And, uh, and that's a great reading. (laughs) Yes. Other ways to support the show, if you if you can't do a monthly donation, you can also buy us a coffee or you can buy That Witch Life merchandise at Etsy. And as we know, those spell kits, go get them. Also, consider becoming an episode sponsor. It's a great way to promote your business to thousands of witches. You can also purchase a shout out. Let people know about your virtual event or just send love to your favorite witch. Find out more on our website at thatwitchlife.com. Are we ready for a word from our sponsors? Yes. With us all staying at home as much as possible and practicing distance learning, now is a good time to take your magical classes online. We are delighted to have Sacred Mists Academy of Magical Arts and Sciences as an episode sponsor. Since 2002, Sacred Mists Academy has offered comprehensive online magical training programs with working witches around the world 
including first through third degree Wicca training, with an elder program available for initiates of the sacred mist tradition. Other programs include historical paganism, herbalist certifications, spell crafting classes, tarot courses, Reiki training, and more. Online learning is very helpful for moms whose schedules can be incredibly hectic, and it allows you the freedom to learn in your own time. It can also be a great platform to meet other witchy mamas who are excited to learn about the same topics as you. Students also have access to the Sacred Mist Circle, a completely private, student-only social media platform, not Facebook, with profile pages, discussion boards, groups, blogs, a searchable book of shadows, videos, music, and more. Other Sacred Mists Academy social groups include witchcrafting, if you're interested in creating your own tools, a divination group to discuss decks and share readings, empath groups to explore this gift and learn about shielding, healing, kitchen witchcraft, and more. Join the Sacred Mists live chats for rituals, sabbats, espits, healing, live divination readings, study halls, and social gatherings for and by students. To enroll, go to sacredmistsacademy.com and enter Witch Life during registration to receive free enrollment, a savings of $30. Monthly tuition then depends on which course or courses you take. Limit one per student available until December 31st, 2020. Manifest the change you want to see in yourself and the world around you through Sacred Mists Academy. Now, we know you're already in love with Sacred Mists because of the Academy. Guess what? Sacred Mists also has a shop offering over a thousand witchcraft tools, supplies, and gifts, including crystals and gemstones, incense and candles, hand-rolled beeswax spell candles, and other spell supplies. This is literally a one-stop shop for witchcraft supplies, y'all. Sacred Mist Shop also offers over 75 plant seeds specifically curated for the witch's garden, including healing and magical herbs, flowers, and plant seeds, just a few of which include belladonna, mandrake, sweetgrass, moonflower, patchouli, elderberry, and mugwort, and many more. Their divination tools include tarot and oracle decks and a gorgeous natural polish, a black obsidian scrying mirror with ornate antiqued brass stand available in two sizes. Sacred Mist Shop offers everything you need to set up your magical space, including wands, athames, hand-carved gemstone runes, and wooden rune sets, god and goddess statuary, and more. They have some absolutely beautiful, unique goddess statues that you don't see in every store to better make your own ritual space unique to you. There's even a fully stocked chest of witchcraft supplies, which include all the basics, the perfect gift for your favorite witchlet who's just starting out, or just to treat yourself. Come on, you deserve it. Plus, Sacred Mist Shop offers a wide variety of jewelry and books. Purchases at Sacred Mist Shop help support the education and training programs offered at Sacred Mist Academy. To get 10% off your purchase of $35 or more, go to sacredmists.com and use code WITCHLIFE at checkout. Offer available until December 31st, 2020. Sacred Mist Shop, offering unique and handcrafted witchcraft and Wicca supplies to the pagan community since 2002. Thank you to Sacred Mist Shop and Sacred Mist Academy for being an episode sponsor.
You are all going to flip out about our next guest, Kate Fruller, the author of Of Blood and Bones, Working with Shadow Magic and the Dark Moon. Kate is a kind, wise soul, and her knowledge just pours off the pages of her new book, which explores shadow magic as a critical but often misunderstood role in the rich history of witchcraft. Of Blood and Bones explores topics such as the ethical use of animal parts and bones, blood magic, dark moon energy, and other rarely discussed aspects of magical practice. With a focus on ethically sourcing materials and suggestions for plant-based substitutions, Kate provides much-needed information and hands-on techniques to help you strengthen your witchcraft practice, connect to nature, protect yourself, and know yourself in a deep way. The shadow work and explored in A Blood and Bones reminds us that not everything is love and light, and that facing the dark side supports the quest to achieve spiritual wholeness. And... Great news. Of Blood and Bones, along with many, many other incredible titles, is 20% off thanks to Llewellyn's holiday sale. To take advantage of this fabulous sale, go to Llewellyn.com. As the world's oldest and largest independent publisher of books for body, mind, and spirit, Llewellyn is dedicated to bringing their readers the very best in metaphysical books and resources. Since 1901, they've been at the forefront of holistic and metaphysical publishing and thought. As time has continued to move forward, so too has their dedication to the witchcraft occult communities, and the advent of the internet has allowed them to better connect with readers, authors, and community members both near and far. Next year, in 2021, Llewellyn will celebrate its 120th anniversary. They extend gratitude to everyone for allowing them to join their personal journeys during this time and for generations to come. Don't forget, 20% off all titles during the Llewellyn holiday sale at Llewellyn.com. We'd like to thank Llewellyn for being an episode sponsor, and now for our interview with Kate. Well, we are very excited to welcome Kate Fruler. Kate Fruller is the author of Of Blood and Bones, Working with Shadow Magic and the Dark Moon. She has been practicing witchcraft for over 25 years and lives in Ontario, Canada. Kate also runs the online shop, whitemoonwitchcraft.com, which is having its 10th anniversary this year. How exciting. Um, so I'll start you off with the question that we start all our guests off with. Um, how did you first know you were a witch or a magical person? Well, um, there wasn't like a single moment where it became clear to me. Um, I would say that starting from the time I was really young, I was always uh, a really sensitive kid and um, almost yeah, kind of a weird kid, if I'm being honestly. Um, and I always had the sense that I could feel things that other people couldn't feel and I could sense unseen energies and emotions in not only people, but in objects and animals as well. And so it kind of started there. And then as I got a little older, I started to just be naturally drawn to the occult um, in any, any form that it came to me. Uh, I lived in a really small town that did not have a bookstore. There was a library. So the resources for like occult materials or witchcraft were really limited. Um, but that's kind of where I started. And, uh, by the time I was like 11 and 12 years old, I was figuring out how to cast my own spells and I had a little altar in my room and, um, yeah, I, and then, um, come the nineties when there were suddenly, um, mainstream things to read, 
I was able to mail order some of those more popular books and make, you know, get relevant information about modern witchcraft and took it and ran. And that's, that's just how it happened. (laughs) I love that. I feel like it's so common. I mean, like we hear, we hear people say like, I mean, some people have that defining moment for, but for many of us, like I'm similar, like, you know, I was also kind of a weird kid and it's like, it just over my over the time that I progressed into like being a teenager and then starting to again get interested in the occult then too it's like I just it it's like it melt it just felt more and more normal for me to go down that path there wasn't like a my the light came on and I knew <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know Hillary I remember you being very normal yeah I was totally normal I didn't do anything Nor- weird I was. I like didn't say weird things to the nuns at Catholic school. You never frightened the nuns. I never frightened the nuns. Um, I didn't like. You and I, I never got into trouble for I mean, worshiping the diaper god. Why, why did we do that? I don't even remember where that started. But that it's was because a thing. we were. It's because we were afraid we were going to pee our pants on stage because we were in a really long <laughs> scene. So we we're like, maybe if we pray to the diaper god, we won't pee ourselves. Well, we got in so much trouble for that oh, one. Oh in, my god! Because we got one of the nuns. Yet. Yeah, one of the nuns walked in and we were like, you know, all no, hail. No, one of the nuns didn't walk in. It was that our theater teacher oh, that's saw right, that that's and she right, said, that's if right. a nun walks in, I'm going to get fired and I'm going to take both of you with me. I'm going to make you get expelled. We're like, oh, well, that's a bad idea. So we just did it privately. <laughs> we worshipped <Wow>. privately. <laughs> we, we worshipped the diaper god privately. It's fine. Totally normal. That's, we, that's amazing. <laughs> we were total theater geeks. So like I was like a music geek slash theater geek. And so like we just were those weirdos, you know, like that, that was us. It was pretty good. Um, first of all, your, your book is amazing. Like I really loved it. And, and so much of it resonated with me. Um, and, and I, I loved it from the very get go because one of the first things that was in the introduction was it's not all light love and light. And frankly, I was like so thrilled to see you state that out loud because for me, that could not be more true. Like there are some, there is some, not that it does, love and light doesn't exist in my practice, but it's not this like, sometimes witchcraft is fucking messy, you know? So it's like, I really yeah, appreciated that. Um, can you explain to those who are not familiar with what shadow work is and why it's important for a witch to do it? Okay, so shadow work... Um, in, in witchcraft terms, is spells and rituals that involve mostly looking inward at yourself and confronting your own issues and in your own problems, things you've been stuffing down and burying and working to confront them and release them. So oftentimes, you know, because of the thing where we're taught, no, witchcraft always has to be love and light and healing only, and it's all nice and good and loving and um but it isn't like you said sometimes it's dirty sometimes it's nasty sometimes what you find inside of yourself um can upset you because we have we have anger in us we have hatred in us we have you know all kinds of ugliness in us it's just part of being a person you know it's not bad it's just there and um trying to suppress that can be really damaging in the end and cause imbalance So shadow work is important just to maintain balance in your life, but also the better you know yourself, the better you're going to interact with the world around you. Like you just, it's so important to know yourself and your own weaknesses and your own so-called dark side. Um, So 
the book of blood and bones is about dealing with those emotions that come up during difficult times that a lot, you know, we are kind of taught to suppress our negative emotions, um, by society in general, um, doing your shadow work is bringing those things up and you through ritual and spells, um, dealing with them and then releasing them. Yeah, I always, I, I like I said to someone the other day, I was like, oh, shadow work. It's like doing rituals, doing shell, spells, and going to therapy. You know, like it's like, it's like just, yeah, dig, it really you know, it's like digging into, I mean, the reality is, is like you said, we all hold that, we all hold things in us that are like the dark side of us or the things that maybe are, are quote unquote unsavory, right? But like, mm-hmm. and I agree, I feel like society is like, no, no, everybody just smile. Don't worry. Like, don't, ooh, don't let anyone know that about you, you know? And it's like, it's that toxic positivity where it's like, no, I mean, like, life, including what's inside of you and what you've experienced is sometimes really fucked up. And it's like, it's okay. And it's part of you. And I feel like the more that you pretend that it doesn't exist, the worse it is, right? It's just like, at some point, if you suppress, 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 the more, at some point, something's going to happen and it's going to come out and it's going to be much less comfortable (laughs) than if you've done that work. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of new witches think that this concept of magic backfiring tends to come. I think that a lot of people that say something magically backfired is they're misunderstanding the kind of of healing opportunity, which is sometimes what I call shadow work, is coming through your magic. I told this story probably about a year ago, and there's been an update since then, so I will tell it again. Okay, so long time ago... Um, I knew a guy who was living a very duplicitous life. And I'm actually bringing the story up because somebody, re- I wrote about it, somebody referenced it in um, a Facebook group and there was all this uproar because they thought I was saying the gods were punishing him. Because he was living a duplicitous life. He had a serious girlfriend. He had another girlfriend on the side. And when he decided he wanted to do magic, well, the women found out about each other and made his life a living hell. And then his jo- like his coworkers found out about what he was doing. And they were all like, I don't think I want to work with you anymore. You're an asshole. And then a pipe burst at his job. And literally the rest of his work, got, he was a consultant, so he had a lot of different jobs, got flooded by shit. So he, had, he could not work because his work had gone to shit. Then he was hit oh by my a car. God. Oh my he God. got hit by a car. Like he was fine, but it was just this series of his life literally falling apart until, you know, and, you know, he, he went through a period of just kind of groveling to the world. Like, wow, I've really screwed up. And I remember watching the world continue to punch him down every time he tried to avoid what, like avoid the truth of why he did that. And I don't know why he did what he did. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be a psychologist and try to diagnose it, but I do know that now, from what I've heard, he's gotten married and he has a kid and he's very happy. So, like, and so when somebody somebody came out on the my on this group I was in and was like, "Oh, Courtney Weber said that this this guy was punished because he did magic wrong," and I said, "Oh, no, 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 he did magic absolutely right." And magic was like, "Yeah, it's time for you to face some pretty awful stuff within you that has made you." feel the need to set up this duplicitous life. So it wasn't about like the, like the, the, the 
you know, the dishonesty or the a dishonest acts he had done. It was whatever was in him that needed healing that encouraged him to set up that life in the first place. That's what that was about. And from what I understand, I don't know, I'm not really in touch with this person anymore. He got there. <laughs> he magic yeah. got him there, you know, and he's, he's, he's living a good life now. But he had to go through that, those places and ask himself, why did I set this up? What, what, what is hurt in me that I feel like I need this life to fill that, to fill that space? And that's what magic can do. And some people might call that, well, you're not looking at it deeply and you're saying, oh, this is magic backfiring. No, this is actually magic working. <laughs> it's magic giving yeah, you an opportunity. I like that. Sometimes you do. You do magic for something and you think it will just, you know, happen easily and nicely. But what you're going to get is actually a huge, devastating change that turns things around eventually and gets you where you're, you need to be. But sometimes the results are, are scary and ugly and hard and you just have to get through it. Kind of like the the tower in the tarot deck, you know, it's yes. seen as a tragedy striking, but it's also for something new and better to begin. The past needs to be addressed and demolished and built back up again. Yeah, it's like, it's the burn it all down, burn it all down and start again, you know? And yeah. the symbol of the tower is that it's something people have put so much time and energy into building this thing and it the, the belief that it is permanent and it is not, and it will fall. And that kind of, and so I, I, I love and hate the tower card in so many ways. <laughs> I know. Whenever I get the tower card, I'm like, oh man, come on. You're like, damn it. But also I know this is an opportunity, but also God damn it. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it just, you know, it's something hard's going to come. That's all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hard, but necessary. So uh, in your book, you talk a lot about the work you do with the dark moon. And of course, like we hear witches so frequently talking about the full moon. What do you think is especially powerful about work uh, you know, on, around, and with the dark moon? Well, um, if you think about it, it's just as powerful as the full moon and just as important, right? It's its direct opposite. Um, it doesn't get as much attention, per se. Um, but the dark moon energy is interesting and useful and important because it's the space between when something ends and before it begins again. And that's the time where the most transition happens in any circumstance in our life is where you're like, um, you know, something's ended and your new way of being hasn't begun yet. And you're just flailing around in the, in the confusion and the nothingness, like, Oh no, what am I supposed to do next? Right. But that's also where the most growth and change happens within you. And you have to, you know, face your darkness and decide what to do next and find the opportunity to begin again. So dark moon energy is also, um, I find it really works well for me in terms of like divination and um, like dream work and sort of like soul searching kind of, it seems to sync well with those types of workings. Um, as well as if you need to do, um, you know, cursing or dark magic and things like that, that's the time to do it. You know, speaking of cursing and hexes, um, there's a lot of like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of division on the use of those in witchcraft. What do you think the most common misconception is and why do you think they have such an unfair bad rap? 
I think people automatically assume that a curse is to harm someone for no reason at all. You just want to hurt someone and you're being malicious. And um, that can be true in some cases. If you, if you go into cursing without really examining yourself and thinking about why, it could just be that, you know, you don't like someone because they have something you want or you're doing it because you're jealous or, you know, that's not a good reason. <laughs> so truth. <laughs> yeah. So, but the truth is in cursing, often it's, um, you know, kind of a last resort when you've gotten to a place where you're powerless um, or this person, there's someone who's doing something that's harming you, harming other people, harming themselves and genuinely needs to be stopped. And so even though you're stopping them from doing something that's perceived as negative, um, it's still a curse because it's, it's interfering with their free will, which is to, to continue doing something destructive. Um, so I think sometimes people don't understand that cursing isn't always about pure maliciousness and being mean. You know, like sometimes it's, if you peel back the layers, it's about protection in, in some cases. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, I think I think our I think so many people's minds go automatically to, ooh, you're trying to harm someone. You want you want something terrible to happen to them, and it's like, I mean, I don't know. I've done I've done work with curses and hexes, and it's not my intention was never that. And I agree, it it really ties into shadow work, right? Because it's like you got to look at you and like why why do you want to stop this person? But I think it can be an incredibly powerful protective tool. You know, like sometimes. Yeah. People need to be stopped. And I think and sometimes they've done something, they've mistreated you, they've disrespected yeah. you, they've taken advantage of you, and yeah. they've treated you like garbage and shit. And they deserve like to have that thrown back at them. Yeah, the accountability, right? Whether yeah. they want to accept it or not. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, they deserve it sometimes. Sometimes. Well, I mean, you know, the reality is is like, you know, people I mean, accountability happens at some point, whether it be by force of somebody else or by someone realizing it within themselves, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it does, it comes around. <laughs> it's, it really, it really does. Um, so I'm someone who practices blood magic and I loved seeing your chapter on the usage of blood, uh, bodily fluids. I think it's something that, that unfortunately people see as quote unquote taboo, which I think is like... You know, it's funny. I don't. I don't find it taboo at all. I think it's very important. And I loved actually. I, I want to like honor how much work you put into uh, how to do it safely, right? Because I think a lot of people have no clue. I mean, I do. I've worked with blood a lot. I'm also a body suspension performance and ritualist, uh, performance artist and ritualist. So like, I have that knowledge. Uh, and I think it's very important for people that are going into blood work to have that knowledge. So I love that you put the time and energy into to call that out because I think it's important that safety be, you know, number one in, in that, um, in that practice. I, I thought it was really important to put that in there so that nobody, you know, gets hurt because a lot of people don't know, like you say about, you know, cross-contamination and right. making sure, or they might go right in there with like a knife or something, not right. understanding how much damage they can do to themselves. Right. It's like the damage, there's the risk of infection, there's the damage, there's the risk of like contracting a bloodborne illness. And it's so like, again, I think that whenever I think of any sort of blood use, it's like one, you want to think of informed consent. So you want to make sure that everyone that you're 
potentially doing this with understands the risks and and you know if there are any and what they are and that you're you're very that you understand how to protect yourself to not cut yourself too deep to not um, get, give yourself a staph infection, you know, like, you know, no one, no one wants that to be what comes out of it because I, I find that bodily fluids can be a really incredibly powerful tool, um, that I find, uh, like an really integral part of my own, of my own magical practice. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about how blood or other, other bodily fluids really can enhance magic. Um, well, I think that when you add your blood or other bodily fluid to an amulet you're making or a spell you're doing, or you put some of your blood, say, um, on a candle you're using in a working, I think it connects your um, intention and what you're visualizing and the energy you're creating to like attract to yourself. It connects that sort of, um, I guess some people would call it the astral realm. You've created this situation in the astral and it connects it and grounds it to your physical earthly self. So it just, I, to me, it creates a really strong tie between the physical and, and the spirit. Um, yeah. You also talked about how, um, in the book you mentioned, like how it also draws in the connection and strength of your own ancestral line as well. Yes, that's true. Um, I take for granted that people, I, I think the same way as I do, but whenever I do a working, like I, um, I bring in my, my ancestral line. I visualize them there. I feel them there and blood brings that in as well. Yeah, for sure. It's just sort of like affirming and adding ancestral energy to whatever working you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, again, I like, that's how I've always felt. I've always felt like it, it's like, well, it's a part of you. Like you're, you're giving a part of you to it. And I think that, um, and I liked as well that you mentioned like there are other ways that you can give a part of you like fingernails or hair for those that are like either don't know how to do, use blood safely or like menstrual blood or semen or whatever um, that don't, that, you know, are afraid or people that are afraid of blood or don't know how to like draw blood, you know, uh, safely. So I think that was, there's some really good tips in there of other parts of your body that you can use, but I do really find in, that it's been a really powerful tool in my own magic. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people, um, it used to be considered really disgusting. And I know there were people who were like, ew, don't involve any of that. And I mean, people still think it's really disgusting a lot of the time, but it, it is so powerful. And then I, I find I'm noticing more and more people like on social media and whatnot, actually talking about it more and becoming more open to using bodily fluids and speaking openly about it, which is cool. It is really cool. I love seeing that shift. You know, it's like, I've seen a lot of that in the community discussions as well, where, you know, previously, you know, where someone would come in and say, oh, I know this is a taboo subject. And all these people would be like, actually, it's, it's really not. (laughs) I'm like, yes, yes, I love it. Well, I think that the, the, the thing that comes when witchcraft was first coming into something that at least in this Western world, United States, um, that people were first starting to admit to. So there was this real desire to distance oneself from everything that might scare other people as a way of trying to either protect yourself or, you know, gain more acceptance. But there is a, an enormous legacy of 
witches, people practicing witchcraft or whatever would be um, parallel to it in their culture or their background of using, um, in some places they call personal curios or personal effects like blood, like semen, like saliva or hair. That's like, yeah, it's a thing and it has been for a very long time. Yeah, yeah and for sure. And I think too, it you know, it's, again, I yeah, I think it's like, I mean, I think that it just got, again, it got a, a bad rap because people were, again, afraid to frighten other people. Like, oh, you're using blood. Oh, you know, and... And it's just, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's, it's our bodies. <laughs> it's like, I mean, and I understand like some people truly are like have an aversion towards blood or are afraid of blood or it makes them, you know, like lightheaded or weak or whatever. And like, totally like use your saliva, use something else. There's like lots of options. <laughs> so. Yeah. And the fact that it has that effect on people just to me kind of illustrates just how powerful it is because it invokes like a deeply instinctive reaction in so many of us, right? Like some people faint when they see it. <laughs> I know it really does. People have a very, people have a very, it's like polarizing reaction. Some people are like very drawn to it and some people are very frightened by it. And some people like straight up pass out. Like they're like, oh God, this, blah, you know? So I think it, it does. It just, it speaks to its power um, and, and, and how much, you know, weight we, weight it carries. Yeah. So, um, I love I loved how much time you put into discussing the ethics of using animal parts in magic. And it was actually really fascinating because, you know, I've used some bones in magic before, um, all that have been, you know, ethically harvested or that, that were gifted to me or that were found. Um, uh, but I was wondering if you could talk to us about how a witch can incorporate remains uh, of animals into their spell work or, or parts of animals into their spell work while also making sure that they're doing due diligence to ensure that they're ethically sourced and um, and that in how they obtain the items for their use. Um, well, uh, first, I, um, I, I did really want to hammer in the ethical side of things in the book because my concern was someone would read it and take that as a as a go-ahead to go and harm an animal just to get its parts in magic. Because you never know who's reading it, right? Like yeah, they you don't. You're right. Who, who has no understanding of what is okay. Um, for obtaining animal parts in witchcraft, personally for me, again, I, I use things that I find. And if you pay attention, it's really amazing how many, you know, remains and bones and leftover animal pieces you can find, even if you live in a city. Um, so that's what I prefer. And I also feel like when you come across something naturally like that, or if someone gives it to you because they found it, um, it's almost like a prompt from spirit saying, okay, here's this thing to prompt you to work on something associated with that animal. Like, um, um, something that comes to me often is rabbits, like bunnies, rabbits all the time. And, uh, it always seems to coincide with, um, prompting me to move forward, like jump forward, you know? Um, I also associate them with like prosperity and I always, like whenever I'm thinking about projects I want to work on or feeling stuck, I will see or find rabbit symbolism. Um, anyway, um, as far as sourcing your materials in that respect, if you find them, that's wonderful. 
that's the best way as far as I'm concerned. And then there's, of course, cleaning and everything, which the book goes into as well to make sure you're not going to attract any grossness because you have a partially rotted like bone on your on your altar or something. It goes into how to clean them. The other thing, if you're not into doing that or you just, you know, never find any animal remains and you don't want to clean things, you can buy a lot of things online. Um, the thing is, like a lot of places will say ethically sourced animal parts, but you have no way to truly know if they're telling the truth or not. Like they could say, oh, this, you know, the re- these crow bones were from an animal sanctuary and this crow had the happiest life of every crow that ever was. And the, you know, it's, it died naturally. They're perfectly ethical when really they, it could have been, I know some people consider crow pests and they kill them. Right. So you have to do your digging, maybe message the person who's selling them and ask directly. Um, if possible, even go by word of mouth. If you have other people in your circle who are also interested in, um, incorporating animal parts in their magic, ask them where they get, where they source their materials and what they think, like really just communicating and finding out for sure and dig, do your dig deep into the seller to, to see that, um, you believe that they are ethical when they say they are. Cause some of them are, you can tell they are so transparent on their shops and things like that. And you can, you can tell that they are things that they found. Yeah, that's true. I have a, um, I have a good friend who makes like really beautiful jewelry out of remains she uses beetles to clean the bones. They like eat the flesh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's- There's a, a university in my town here that has those beetles, has flesh eating beetles. It's, it's kind of amazing. Like I went to see her studio and I was like, what's that in there? She's like, oh, those are the, those are the beetles I use to clean the remains of animals I find. And I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, uh, did you say beetles? And she's like, yeah, well, they're like fleshy beetles. And I was like, that's a thing that exists? Like, <laughs> that's a thing that I need to be afraid of now? No, anyway, but it was like totally fascinating. Um, and I thought like a really interesting way to utilize, uh, you know, to, to clean. The, I mean, obviously there's other things she needs to do, obviously, to make it um, clean and safe and, you know, make sure there's no bacteria or that you're not. Cause, because friends, be, I mean, animals carry a number of diseases. <laughs> so like, it's important yeah. that you're not just like out there, like, you know, bareheaded gra- gra- grabbing a rat or something that you found that's been hit or what, I mean, like whatever, you just got to be smart about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was like fascinating. And I thought the tips as well that you gave uh, were really good. And it was like very clear how to process that, which I loved. And you also mentioned uh, like bugs and insects. And I like, it was something that I think that I don't know why I had never like <laughs> considered. I was like, oh, because I definitely have found, you know, insects before that were dead. Um, and I'm like, man, I could have, I totally could have like given that insect another purpose, you know, <laughs> in, oh, yeah. my, in like, my magic. Insects get overlooked so often. I mean, think about a spider, Think about how powerful spiders are in our minds, right? Some people are just so terrified of them. That's me. And there's yep. <laughs> so much, yeah, there's so much lore attached to them. But since, so if you're terrified of them and you really don't like them, you could use, if you found a dead spider, you could use that in like in magic for sure, because it has such a strong emotional meaning to you. Yeah. I also really love the idea of like, again, giving purpose in the same way that we do with plants, like, you know, 
uh, we talk a lot about like invasive plants and how we pull them from our gardens. And Courtney always says, uh, what do you say, Courtney? You're like, well, uh, do you, do you want to work some magic with me or would you like to go into the compost? (laughs) That's exactly, we make a deal. They always say magic. They're like, oh yeah, definitely not the compost. Gross. Let's go into magic. So, you know, I love, I love the idea of, you know, again, um, using insects in that way, because I think, again, it's like, it gives this thing another purpose. Um, is there a way that you, um, you know, when you find remains like this, that you, that you, something that you do to honor them? Is there a way for people to honor, um, you know, what they're able to use from that animal or insect? Well, um, I don't have a specific ritual or anything I do when I do find um, like animal remains or or insect remains, but I do take a moment to like just acknowledge the spirit of that creature and what they represent um, and also handle them respectfully. And, uh, you know, I just sort of in my mind, I go into my mind and I'm like, okay, thank you, little bunny. I appreciate you and I'm going to take good care of you from here on kind of thing. I love that. But I mean, it is, it's like, you know, it's, it's caretaking. It's, I mean, I think we do that. Um, you know, we've had a number, a couple of guests on talking about, you know, like mortuary and funeral work and, and like the caretaking that goes into that. So I think it's beautiful to, you know, if we're going to use, um, you know, a, a, a living, breathing thing, you know, or like, uh, you know, if we're going to use insects or we're going to use animals uh, of any type that we, again, are like being very, that we're treating them with care because it is something that we are, we are using, you know, that was theirs, the, the shell of, of the body that housed their spirit. So I, I love that. Um, I love that you kind of go, okay, well, I mean, it's, it just reminds me so much of Courtney and the plants like, okay, what do you think? Magic or, and they're like magic all day. <laughs> Sometimes they'll say no. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm really done here. Um, but in general, in general, the invasive plants, they, they don't want to go anywhere, but, um, animals can be a different story. Yep. Yeah. I also, when I, if I'm doing, um, if I'm going to be using burial to clean an animal's remains, um, I always will put an offering in the ground with it, almost like to say thank you to spirit for sending it to me, Mm. like, um, a coin or something else of value to just acknowledge that it was given to you. That's lovely. I love that. So, okay. So in your book, you talk about modern day sacrifices and how they aren't at all what people actually think they are. Can you talk to us about, uh, about that a little bit? Okay. So when it comes to sacrifice, um, especially, you know, witchcraft and sacrifice automatically, it's like, Killing babies, chopping off people's heads, murdering them, slaughtering them, giving them to Satan, you know, like it has such an awful connotation. Thanks, satanic panic. <laughs> yeah, satanic panic, exactly. That's where it's, it comes from, totally. But in reality, sacrifice isn't that. It's um, a giving of a piece of yourself uh, to spirit or whatever you wish to call it um, in exchange for you know, blessings or whatever it is you're working on, or as to give thanks. Um, and also to acknowledge you can, you can make a sacrifice to your ancestors even. Um, but it doesn't have to be blood. It doesn't have to be death and awful things. It can be an action that in your mind, you've said, okay, I'm, I'm doing this action for, you know, my grandma who cared about this cause. And now I'm going to go and, um, give to this charity for her or like, it can be 
something like um, in exchange for gaining self-control or something like that, you can make a sacrifice of giving up something that you kind of would use all the time. Like in my book, I talk about doing a fast from um, technology. So staying off of your devices for a, a chosen length of time, like say three days, that can be a sacrifice to spirit in exchange for messages you're supposed to be getting, but aren't because you're always on your phone. Right. But also the action of giving something that you value, um, just shows respect to like whatever you're working with spirit, deity, whatever. Um, and acknowledges it because a lot of time I think people cast spells and invoke forces and then never kind of acknowledge like, Hey, thanks. <laughs> you know, like the, the whole, this whole showing appreciation is really important. I think. I mean, I loved, I mean, I loved reading that because I was like, Oh, that's such a good point. Like, you know, if you're, if you want to give a sacrifice in honor of someone, maybe that's like giving a day of physical service to a organization that they supported or making a donation in their name or planting a tree in their, you know, like in their honor or, you know, like I loved the idea of, cause you know, like, again, it's like, thanks to, I mean, so many misconceptions, but the satanic panic certainly uh, affected us all in that way that everyone's like sacrifices, you're going to kill and eat a baby. You know, it's, like, it's just I like, know. and you're like, well, no, uh, no one is doing that. Uh, it's, that's not what witches do. I know it's a shocker to hear. Um, but I just thought it was so... Penani has called me threatening to do that to her own kids, which has nothing to do with witchcraft <laughs> and everything to do with her just being done. That's more to do with my stress level. And Kanani's like, that's not a sacrifice. That's a survival tactic. That's, that's a coping mechanism. <laughs> 100%. Well, and it's like... But I just think, you know, like it made me, it made me, it actually made me look at some of the stuff that I've done that I just instinctually have done. Like, oh, I'm going to do this to honor someone that like, I guess I probably would have never, you know, put in my head as a sacrifice, but I actually was like, oh damn, that's, you know, that is absolutely what that was. Um, that like, you know, instinctually I felt was important to do. So I loved, you know, I loved seeing it from that perspective. And again, I think conversations like this are really important because they dispel a lot of the myths that the like, you know, negative myths that exist around witchcraft and, how we're all doing a bunch of fucked up shit. And, you know, like, it's like, yeah. and that, that was like one of the things I loved so much about the book in general is that I think it, it talked about those things in such a educated, well put together way and really like bro broke a lot of that apart and said, mm, okay, like that's not exact, like that's not exactly what this is. And that's, you know, like actually what this is for is this. And I thought that it was, you know, so well laid out and e easily digestible. Like, you know, for people, again, you know, in the time that you took to talk about, you know, the ethical use of animal parts, in the time that you took about, you know, the ethical use of bod bodily fluid and so on and so forth. So I really loved um, that it included all those things. Well, thank you. I, I'm glad. Um, I thought, you know, again, those things are important to understand. Um, another interesting thing about sacrifice is, um, you know, there's the, there's the act of sacrifice where you're doing, you give a life of something in exchange for something else. And so a way that you can do that is by killing a plant 
for example. And I know like, you know, ask the plant first and say, you know, compost or, or magic, right? And then if you wanted to, that, that stems from the idea that when something dies and the spirit comes out of it, it is a releasing really strong energy. So if you have a plant and you can use it in magic and at the moment that, you know, you break the stem, it releases energy from the plants in the same way that, um, you know, supposedly that's what we're doing with, with people <laughs> as witches. Yeah. I let, you know, I, I agree. I like, I think that that is, um, when I was reading the book, I thought that that was a really beautiful way to do that because again, I think, I mean, I think our minds just in general go to like worst case scenario, doom and gloom, blah, 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 you know, like, <laughs> like, so I, I thought that was beautiful. Like, oh, you could sacrifice this thing uh, as an offering. You know, I mean, we do that. Honestly, we do that if we're buying flowers, right? Like yeah. we're purchasing flowers as an offering and those flowers were a living thing and they are not anymore. <laughs> and and they, right. they are that offering. And I always try, you know, for years I didn't, um, you know, I didn't have as much of a relationship with plants as I do now. And I think that in, in doing, in doing like, you know, investing more in, in my relationship with plants and building a stronger relationship with plants, I start to as well recognize what plants have to give in a greater way and also thank them. You know, like if I'm putting flowers on, you know, uh, on my altar or if I'm using them as part of a ritual to thank that plant, you know, for, for letting me use it. Yeah. I think it's, it's just as important as, um, when you find an animal that you're going to include, like animal remains that you're going to include it's just as important to treat a plant with this, the same sort of like loving respect that you would give, give an animal. I love that. I, I, I like how you talk about, you know, the concept of sacrifice and that, you know, it's just not what people, what people think you can sacrifice, you know, giving your time as a sacrifice, giving your money as a sacrifice, um, you know, using your, your mental and physical energy isn't enough is in and of itself a sacrifice. And I just think, I think that's cool. And I, I hope it kind of takes a little bit of the sting out of the word when people talk about stuff like that. Yeah, I hope so too. That was one of the goals, I think, in writing that section. Plus it's just interesting to look at, you know, the history of it and how it's evolved and changed over time. But, you know, like we, like we've been talking about, we're, we're doing it all the time without even really thinking about it or realizing it. And something, you know, as simple as, uh, as buying flowers. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's so true. It, 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 like, you know, as Kanani said, I think I really enjoy opportunities in which we're able to like reframe the, the idea we had of something. And, and I thought that your book did that in so many ways, uh, that, you know, people wouldn't have thought of like, you know, like even myself and I like, <laughs> You know, just because I don't, again, like I, I wasn't like, oh, you know, oh, this is a sacrifice when I gave, you know, when I utilized a plant for something or when I, so I loved like reading that and reframing that in my mind of like, oh yes, you know, that money I donated or that time I've given or that plant that I've put, you know, put as an offering or, or, you know, so on and so forth, you know, is a sacrifice. And I loved that that reframing. Well, Kate, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on the, on the show. And again, uh, for those listening, Kate's book is 
fantastic. It's called Of Blood and Bones, Working with Shadow Magic and the Dark Moon, and it's really, really great. Uh, so go check it out. Kate, where can people find you and your book? Um, you can find me on Instagram at um, fruler underscore witch. Um, I'm on, uh, my book is available on Amazon and bookstores and, um, uh, yeah. And all the regular places that you would purchase books from and from Llewellyn.com. And, uh, I'm also, I have an author page on Facebook just under Kate Fruler author. And my store is whitemoonwitchcraft.com. And I think that's about it. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to me and have me on your podcast. Oh my gosh. This has been great. It's been so good. We love it. Um, well, thank you everyone so much for listening. If you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe and spread the word. Please also consider leaving us a rating or review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also buy us a coffee or check, uh, or check out our merchandise at our Etsy store. For bonus content, become a supporter of Patreon. We are on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram for show notes, audio transcripts, or to just ask us a question to answer on a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So mote it be. How did you feel about The Wicker Man? Oh, that that's just awful. Oh, Jesus. The end of the movie is awful. The whole movie is awful. It was awful. Yes. You liked the boobies, though. Oh, the seducing dance or whatever? The seduction dance or what that yeah. girl is doing? I guess. The boobies weren't worth watching Man Burned Alive? No. no. Yeah, I agree. No. I agree, Courtney. It was a horrible <laughs> movie. Yes. All right. Well, so...